0: And welcome to this episode of Spotlight with Sandhya. Our guest today is the bold and beautiful Pratibha Prahlad. She is a classical dancer, choreographer and cultural visionary. She has been awarded the Padma Shri by the Indian government and she is also the recipient of an award by the Sangeet Natak Academy. Welcome to the show Pratiba. Thank you. So, I see you Or rather, we all see you as the strong, fierce and self-assured person. Can you tell us how you broke through the court of patriarchy to become this force to reckon with in the arts and culture landscape in India?
1: Well, I think, um, you know, perceptions are different and uh, perceptions are not actually reality. And like I often say that those who appear most courageous, uh, fierce is the word you used, or bold, are actually those who have gone through a lot in life and who are the most sensitive and who have also been subjected to a lot of, you know, um, ferocity, of of gossip and, uh, you know, of of, uh, um, aspersions. So, to overcome that and to feel that uh, you are who you are, despite what people say about you, you are who you are, in spite of what people do to you or do not do to you, uh, takes a long, long time, I I presume. And, um, you know, I think it's important for us to connect with our inner selves and to understand who we are and what our uh, journey and our destiny is, And yes, I've gone through a lot. And like I said, I mean, I I was born into a regular middle-class Brahmin family. So there were expectations of the girl child uh, Mm -hmm. that they had. And so did others around the family, the larger family and uh, society in large. And yes, I have done what I have done, but I've done that with conviction. And and I did not shy away from, you know, doing it publicly. I've gone through, you know, ways and means and roads that others perhaps find it difficult or uh, uh, fearful to go through. But there have been thorns in the pathway and uh, it's not a bed of roses that one walks on. But despite all that, at the end of the tunnel is light. And I think uh, most all women, all women, and I say this with conviction again, should claim agency over their body, their
0: mind and their spirit. I think certainly this is what uh, women who look up to you would want to take away from this session. You know, it's not easy. Uh, Whichever field you are in, whether you're in the field of arts or you're in medicine or you're in teaching, as a woman, you cannot get away from the oppression of patriarchy. And that is something that we talk about quite often. Pratipa, you're also an author and uh, you write articles for leading publications. And I remember in one of the articles that you wrote for the Best of India book that uh, my company published, you talked about, you know, how Indian classical dance is reclaiming the sensuality that used to be part of it originally, you know, and there have been, um, you know, a phase where dance would have almost died out in, in the form that it was in at that point of time. And it was, in a way, brutally Uh, amputated and all the sensual elements were taken away and it was reduced to perhaps a rather more anemic version of what it was. Do you think that with the reintroduction or the reclaiming of sensuality, the dancers today are able to empathize more with what contemporary Indian women want?
1: Well, I mean, I am going to start by answering the first part of your question. The first part of your question was when did we sanitize dance? And when did we take away sensuality from our dances? So for the longest ever time dance was associated with the Devadasis who were the performers and who did not really enjoy a uh, social status post British Empire post the Britishers. Before that they were agents of God. Mm-hmm. But you know, after the British uh, rule came into India um, there was a lot of Mismatch and lack of understanding of the position of the Devadasi, and uh, therefore, uh, there were a lot of societal problems that crept in, and patriarchy and feudalism being topmost uh, among them. So, in the light of that, when independent India had to reclaim the art form, early pioneers like um, you know, Rukmini Devi Arundel and E. Krishnaya thought that it was best. To devoid the dance of all its erotic poetry and eroticism and to claim it as Bhakti Shringara. Now, Shringara is the primal rasa in the, in the classical dance sampradaya or tradition. Without Shringara, there is no other rasa because within the gambit or the ambit of Shringara, you can, you know, emote and take your audience to different levels, different levels of emotions. So when they did away with Sringara and said that everything was Bhakti Sringara, you know, towards, I mean, on the the path to God, towards enlightenment, uh, they were trying to draw back the middle class and the, you know, upper middle class, uh, very highly prudish uh, audiences into theatres. And they want, and like, uh, you know, uh, E. Krishnaya famously said, you can't throw the, uh, baby with the bath water, so the bath water had to be discarded, which was erotic poetry, erotic literature. But you had to claim the baby, and you know, see that the tradition of dance goes forward. So, Kalakshetra tradition, if you see, you know, Bishrakuni started, um, did not give emphasis to erotic poetry, but there were some dancers who had learned from Balasaraswati, from uh, Mailapur Gauri Ammal, and some of the last living Devadasi legends. Of dance, you know, and they brought back this poetry um, into the traditional repertoire. One of these gurus was my own guru Shrimati Kalani Narayanan, uh, who started teaching uh, young dancers at that time. Young dancers uh, from upper middle class families, a poetry that was deeply steeped in erotic love and longing and desire, and uh, you know the, the brutality and the starkness of that desire and uh, you know of, of wanting and longing and pining for god mm-hmm. or god man whoever it be um, so yeah and why it, it's been now 50 years that these poetry you know this kind of poetry has been uh, in public domain for the mm-hmm. arts and the most famous being shetraya jayadeva sarangapani and those poets who were not inhibited when they wrote about the love of a woman for a man or a love of, you know, of, of, of a man for a woman, the longing of, you know, of sexual union. So, Balasaraspati famously said that you cannot attain moksha by um, discarding sensuality and sexuality. It's only with claiming sensuality and sexuality can you attain moksha because when you're completely in love mind body and spirit you are already on a different level on a heightened level on a heightened plane because your relationship with your lover is not transactional you're not there because he's famous or he's rich or he's got money or he's powerful you are with him because you love him and he loves you and that is something that is so essential to the arts and for the arts to be authentic, they have to, you know, reclaim that, those, those sentiments and those emotions that are pure and erotic love or shringara is pure and authentic and honest.
0: Okay, so these feelings of love, uh, longing, uh, you know, desire, uh, devotion, pity, they are eternal. But what about what the contemporary woman wants? Do you think classical dance and classical art forms can address that? Can they also resonate and match the expectations of the women?
1: I'm happy you asked me this because a long time ago, i would written an article calling myself the feminist Mm Naika. You know, because some of the uh, critics in the field had said, why do you show a woman always longing and pining for a man? Why can't the woman? I mean, a woman like you be strong and brave and courageous and not want a man? So at which point I said that I don't, I'm, you know, I don't want to desexualize myself, or you know, I don't want to de-gender myself. I'm a woman. I have my, my. I have a body. I have needs. I have desires, and I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not ashamed of my desire or my need or my longing or my pining. So I said, but. I don't understand why I should do away with my, with the natural instincts of feminine gender, with my natural instincts and say that a woman, you know, in order to be, you know, to be a feminist should not pine for her lover. I said, who would you rather have me pine for, for another woman? I mean, then that would be a different relationship altogether that we, you know, uh, in today's uh, world, you know, world, call it LGBT gay. But I said, in classical poetry, you have a woman pining for a man, and it's not an unnatural feeling. Like you said, it's an eternal feeling. How does that disempower you? How does that subjugate you? Or how does that make you lesser of a woman than you are? In fact, it heightens your sensuality, your sexuality, your power over your own body, mind, feelings, and it also, the power that you have over your lover your man, I mean, whoever he is. Because you are a woman and he is a man and that is, those relationships are you know, forever. They've
0: been there forever they're going to remain forever. So I guess in current times, it could be the love that a woman has for another woman. Cool. But that apart, my question was also a little deeper than that. It's not, I'm not questioning the longing or the wanting. That, like you said, is a part of human nature as long as we remain sensual creatures, we will want it. But I am saying, you know, like how um, contemporary dance would reflect probably the problems of today. Do you think classical dance could also be used to depict those kind of issues, like today's problems? Can we use it to show perhaps like how you show, you know, please do that beautiful gesture that you show to uh, show the sun or the bird. Can we use it to show something about global warming? Can we make it more contemporary? Can we address contemporary issues?
1: Um, dance is dynamic
0: okay.
1: and um, artists are also living human beings, right. they are not muslimized pieces. They live in a certain society, and there are issues in that society in which they live in, and those society, those things are addressed. But these you know, poetic instinct, as they say, the poetic int- instinct, the artistic intuition, has to come from within the artist, whether it be a dancer or a musician or a painter or a poet. It can't be perforce uh, implanted by an outside force saying, "Oh, you're contemporary. You're contemporary. What's you a contemporary theme? You do global warming." So then, somebody comes. Does the same taya, 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 in the same costume and saying, "Oh, the sun is bright and the moon is, uh, you know, cooling." It's it's ridiculous. Thought has to be given. If if the artist has depth, the artist gives thought. IDH the you know the problem what right? hmm. what the artist wants to say through her dance or you know whatever. So. It is as contemporary as the dancer is. It is as contemporary as the dancer wants it to be. So I don't think that, you know, issues like global warming or anything else cannot be you know, uh, introduced into the dance idiom, they can be, of course they can be. And many other issues that we, you know, all the time, right. uh, you know, talk about and revisit our own, you know, epics, We revisit our yeah, own For Quranic. example, uh,
0: domestic abuse, yes. I'm sure it happened, right, it's as old as humankind, I'm sure, as old, as old as Adam and Eve. So we do
1: revisit that, we relook at all the, you know, Quranic figures, we re-look at all the, you know, uh, the, the people that we have read about and decide on how we want to project them that is also contemporary not just talking about swan but sandhya i would like to point this out that if anyone thinks that every other month they have to keep churning contemporary or some pertinent uh, kind of a issue Mm -hmm. uh, kind of a performance it doesn't hold water because classical dance is not a newspaper Okay. that you read today and throw okay. away, it is something that remains forever. It's a parampara, it's, you know, it, it's a sampradaya. it goes on forever. So one has to be careful about the, having the right mix and how
0: much you want to say, in what idiom you want to say, through what medium you want to say. So Pratibha, I want to talk now about this magnificent cultural extravaganza that you created the Delhi International Arts Festival. You know, you inspired a legion of um, arts festivals in India, varying sizes. Among them is our own little under the Rain Tree Women's Cultural Festival. Look, so, if you had the power, you know, uh, to uh, influence at the policy level or the implementation level, how would you help the genuine festival organizers and founders in this country? Because I do believe, we all play a very important role. So, how would you... And it's a thankless job. I mean, you've seen it, you've done it. What powers you to keep doing it at that level is something, you know, incredible and one can only marvel at the relentless drive and energy. But if you could, what would you do to help the field of arts festivals in India?
1: See, the thing is that... uh... One has to recognize the role of civil society in keeping, you know, uh, the society and the culture of the society uh, moving, pushing in different directions. Government should not organize festivals because it's not the government's duty to curate or organize cultural festivals. Because people in, you know, in government, I mean, when you, you know, they're incumbent dependent. One time you have a secretary or a joint secretary or a director who is extremely, um, you know, fond of culture, Mm -hmm. cultural activities, artistic activities, and that person invests in funding those activities. But there are many, many uh, instances of people who are not interested, they're disinterested. So what do you do then? You've got to keep appealing to them to give us the money. What does civil society lack that government has? Civil society lacks the funding and the money power. So if ever, you know, I get the get them, you know, power to be able to transact this or renegotiate the spaces of, um, you know, giving funding and grants to organizations that are doing extraordinary work, I think I would increase the grants, the amount of the grants, I would recognize top quality organizations, I would map them. I would call it cultural mapping. Who are the people who organize? How did they organize? What is their commitment level? And you know, categorise them into A, B, C categories, so that one understands who organises at what level and what the what the funding should be available for them um, annually, so that they don't have to go begging for funds every year or reapply for funds every year. Yes, they will have to comply with government, um, you know, uh, mandates like utilisation or uh, you know a PFMS, and that is normal and that's that's fine, but. Uh, but yes, I would uh, ensure that every year at a particular time before their festival, before their festival, not after their festival, the funds are available for them for whatever the ministry Well, can ahead
0: do. so they can plan the plan schedule, the schedule and, and, yeah, you know, and do it.
1: Like, do like it's it is done professionally.
0: Like it is done internationally. I think uh, this has been a very engaging and very informative uh, session, uh, Pratibha. Thank you for joining us on the show today.
1: Thank you so much. So
0: I'm always happy to talk to you. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of Spotlight with Sandhya. You can also view the interview as a video on the Raintree Media YouTube channel. And don't forget to check out our blog. I host my podcast on Hubhopper, India's leading podcast creation platform. Check out more on hubhopperstudio.com. You can see the links in the episode description. Until I'm back again, take care and bye-bye.